We are a week five. This is our last week in this Untangling Legalism series. Uh, the tagline, uh, Reclaiming and Reframing. We're looking at uh, five different words uh, that tend to trip us up into a more works-based way of thinking about following God in our, our Christian walk, and we're reclaiming and reframing those words in grace and freedom. We started with confession five weeks ago. Confession just simply means to agree with, and we're wanting to agree with the incredible promises of God that he has given us. We, we tend to be so laser-focused on our sin when we think about confession, but really confession is to agree with all that God has done and all that God has given us, amen? And then we went to conviction. And conviction simply means this, to be convinced of. And we talked about from John 16 and conviction that the Holy Spirit convicts you of your righteousness. To convict believers that they have right standing with God. Um, week three was repentance, uh, which means just to change your mind, uh, to change our mind about our identity in Christ and our rootedness and groundedness and our identities in Christ. And then last week, we talked about sanctification, uh, to be set apart for a purpose. I want to uh, unpack with you for just a couple of minutes, uh, repent and sanctification before we get to our word for the morning, because there's a theme of repentance and sanctification and obedience that I want to draw out for us before we get to the word today, which is obedience. Um, before I get there, uh, let me just say this. I have had an incredible past week. Um, my friend Jimmy Page, uh, who's right in the back of the room, uh, he and I had the privilege of being a part of a leadership boost with uh, people that are on staff with FCA in the Western Division of the US, so about 30 or so people. Uh, it was in Lake Tahoe, which by the way, not a struggle to be in Lake Tahoe, I'll just be honest. Who's been to Lake Tahoe? All those who aren't raising your hands, you need to go to Lake Tahoe. I mean, it is amazing. Uh, so a privilege to be there. Uh, Jimmy had me come speak to his team, uh, and he asked me to do what we've been doing here. Uh, let's talk about untangling legalism. Let's do the words. And so I had the privilege of speaking uh, to uh, some FCA staff uh, over this past week. And also, there were six Navy SEALs there running us through the ringer, which was awesome. Uh, organization that Jimmy is in relationship with, Acumen Performance Group. Uh, seven, six former Navy SEALs uh, that were there uh, running us through different things, uh, making us uncomfortable, uh, making us uh, get out of our comfort zone, like grit. You learn grit uh, by going through hard things. Uh, hard things teach us how to have grit. Uh, what's amazing about the SEALs is, yeah, I mean, they're physically stout for sure. I mean, know that, know that. But it's their mental game. It's their toughness that really sets them apart. One of the quotes of uh, the week for me uh, that was so much fun was night one. We were there, we got there, we had dinner uh, as a team. Uh, Jimmy spoke, encouraged the team. Uh, and we were just in like a hotel conference room, right? So visualize like a hotel conference room, tables. We're all sitting around tables. The SEALs come in, they introduce themselves. They get us in boat crews. We got in six person boat crews for the week because uh, you're gonna go through hard things together with a team, all right? We, we, we have more grit when we're doing it with someone than when we're alone, uh, putting us in teams. And then uh, Mark, who leads the organization, he said, you know, we're, we are gonna make you uncomfortable. That's part of the leadership boost is to make you uncomfortable in this space, but we're not, we're not trying to hurt you. 
We're not here to hurt you. And then he made this statement. He goes, if we wanted to break you, we would do it right here in this conference room and we would do it in 10 minutes. Okay, all right. Uh, Touche. And it was just a funny uh, quote for me to remember. I just had a great week, a privilege of being away from Fort Collins. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be away and encourage people uh, in that. So I had a great week. I hope you had a great week as well. Um, I'm on a bit of a high from the experience, I'll be honest. Uh, and I got to teach uh, what we've been learning here. And so I'm, I, I'm just so grateful uh, for what we've been engaging in over the last four weeks. I'm excited about where we're going to be uh, today as we talk about the word obedience. Um, repentance means to rethink. Uh, change your mind, right? Um, it's always through the lens of God's extravagant grace, never through the lens of condemnation. If we are being led to repent and it's through the lens of condemnation, it's not the Holy Spirit leading us. Uh, it's always through the lens of God's extravagant grace. We tend to connect repentance to our behavior, but one of the realities that we talked about two weeks ago, it's really repentance is connected to our belief what we believe about God. It's not, repentance isn't turn away, turn away from sin, and God is over there, and I need to repent and turn away and get back over here to where God is. And there's this chasm that has been created in my relationship with God. We want to rethink, we want to repent with understanding these truths of the scripture. Um, God says in the book of Hebrews, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we have that promise of God, and we have this concept sometimes of repent. I need to turn away, and I need to get back over there to God. We need to repent and understand that God never leaves us or forsakes us. We need to repent and understand in every circumstance of life, wherever we are, however we've been doing, whatever we've done, that Romans 8 says, nothing separates you from the love of Christ. So repentance is changing our mind to realize, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Nothing separates you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, or John 10, Jesus says, nothing will ever snatch them out of my hands. You are secure in Christ always, always, always. Repent, rethink, have a foundation of your identity in Christ. We tend to think about repentance, about our behavior. It's really about what we believe. Same with sanctification. The word sanctification, to be set apart for a holy purpose. Sanctification is connected to the word saint. It's our sainthood. Again, we think about sanctification as something that we need to do to become more like Christ. Really, it's a gift of God. The will of God is your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4, to be set apart, to understand your holiness, to understand your sainthood. There's a past tense reality to sanctification. Hebrews 10.10, you are sanctified, period, done, over with. And we learned last week there's a progressive present reality of sanctification as well, but it means really this. Sanctification isn't working to become something that we are not. Sanctification, the present reality of sanctification is this. You are actually growing and maturing in Christ, becoming who you already are in Jesus. You're actually catching up to what is true for you in the spirit. That is sanctification. Today's word, obedience, same theme. 
Same theme. We tend to connect it to our behavior, but we want to reframe our obedience to understand obedience and faith or obedience and trust in God is one and the same. We tend to separate obedience from our trust in God, but we're going to reframe it today that obedience and trust in God is really the same thing. If someone comes to you, they, uh, they know that you are a professed Christian or that you are engaging in a church community here in town. They go, oh, talk to me about obedience. What do you think that means? Like, what does it mean to obey? How would you explain it to someone? What does it mean for a follower to grow in obedience? Obedience is a, it's a biblical word, but it has been hijacked like all the other words we've been talking about in legalism. And we tend to think of obedience this way, that obedience is connected to this, obey the rules and obey the traditions, do what's right, obey the rules, obey the traditions. The Pharisees in the time of Jesus, they relentlessly pursued acts of obedience, didn't they? They relentlessly pursued obedience unto the law and they became so self-righteous and their obedience to the degree that they believed that they were worthy before God because of their obedience. They viewed God as a God that owed them reward for their obedience to the law and to rules and traditions. I wanna help us reclaim the word obedience and reframe it, not through the lens of law, but through the lens of grace and freedom in Christ. Hear me say this. Living the Christian life is not about following the rules and all the traditions. It is about a relationship. It is about a trust relationship with God in Christ and in the security of that trust relationship that we have in God, we are empowered to know God and to follow him. It is connected to a relationship with God. The Greek word that is translated obey simply means this, to listen under, like connect discipleship, right? The disciples were following a rabbi, Jesus. A disciple listens under, they trust the rabbi, they trust and they listen under. To obey means to listen under. It's the uh, outward expression of a heart that trusts God. I would say it to you this way. Obedience is faith rooted. It is faith rooted. To obey Christ, to obey Christ is this, has the same meaning in the Greek as to have faith in Christ. You guys hear me say that? To obey Christ has the same meaning as faith in Christ. Jesus said this in the Last Supper, uh, John 14 15, 14, 15. If you love me, if you understand my love for you, if you're in a trust relationship centered in love, you will, you will keep my commands, right? It's just a natural flow. Um, DC Talk, Toby Mack, Toby Mack, and the Mack is back in the slack. And on DC Track to Check, anyone that listened to DC Talk in the 90s, uh, love is a verb, right? They used to sing a song called Love is a Verb. Love is action-oriented. So if I tell you that I'm, I have a relationship with someone and, we're, and I'm like, yes, I love, I love this person. And then you see me treating this person and nothing about how I'm treating the person looks like love. 
You would be free to come and say, you say you love this person, but what you're actually showing doesn't look anything like love. Like, love looks like what? Love. When love is expressed, guess what it looks like? It looks like love. Love is a verb. Love is love. When we obey the commands of Jesus, not because we are required to, but because of love, we are in the flow of growing and maturing in grace. We could say obedience to Christ, or we could say uh, abide in Christ. Same reality. Uh, the next chapter in John, John 15, uh, is this. Carla, I might need your help. Gotcha, thank you. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus talking to the disciples again. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus teaches abiding in me, trusting in me is bearing fruit. It is the same reality. And so this is a key point number one in us understanding, understanding, um, okay, let's just go to, I'm just gonna direct you, Carly. I don't think it's working, thank you. To trust, key point number one, to trust is obey. To trust is obey. We must connect these two things together as one because when we separate trust, trusting in God from obeying God, we get, we get tripped up and legalism. Uh, how many in this room grew up in a church that sang a whole lot of um, hymns? Okay, a decent amount of us. And you grew up in a church and pews like this, although the church that I grew up in had these fancy like maroon covered cushions, right? Uh, but there were hymnals in the back. We have hymnal racks, you just don't have any hymnals in the racks. Uh, but there was hymnal racks. And one of the hymns that I remember growing up singing is this. Do you, do, you, do you remember this one? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with that. So I'm in seminary. This is circa 2007, 2008. Biola University, Talbot School of Theology. My favorite seminary professor, Dr. Mark Sosi. He's up in front of class. He sings the line that we just did. And he was a really good hymn singer. Um, and then he gets done, he looked at us and he goes, that is bad theology. That is bad theology. Because what it does is it moves us to separate trust and obey. And he said, I wanna help you understand this. Trust is obey. They are not to be separated in our understanding of obedience, but they are be, to be connected uh, together as one. To trust is obey. And also I would say, obey is trust. We can say it both ways, which is key point number two. The primary work of obedience is to believe. To believe. We, when we connect obey to our, uh, we tend to connect obey to our works. The things that I'm supposed to do, the rules, the traditions, the things, right? Obey the things. Um, Jesus connects it to his work, to his person and his work. Um, John 6, 
28 and 29. I've, we've talked about this um, before over the years. Uh, the disciples, uh, they come to Jesus and they're asking him this question. Hear this. What must we do to do the works that God requires? Emphasis on the word requires. What are we supposed to do? Like, tell us what to do and we'll do the things, right? What are the works we're supposed to do that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. They were connecting their obedience to their duties. They connected obedience to requirements and there were many requirements that they were connecting them to. What are the works? And what I want you to see in these two verses is Jesus simplified their question in two ways. The first thing he did is he removed the word requirement from his response. He didn't use the word requirement, he simplified it. And so the first thing we see is he didn't use the word, he didn't say, well, you are required to, so he just didn't answer that way, he just removed it from his response. And then the second thing, he changed the grammar. Notice the grammar. What grammar has changed? What are the works? Plural. What do you see about Jesus' response? The work. You see that? Singular. The work is to believe. Simply believe in me. So key point number one, trust is obey. Key point number two, the primary work of obedience is to believe. Or we could say it this way, trust is obey, also obey is trust. Key point number three, the primary work of of obedience is to believe, I'm gonna switch it in point three, the primary response, the the work is to believe, the response of belief is a grace empowered obedience. That's the response, not a burdensome, guilt-ridden, shame-motivated obedience, but a grace-empowered, love-motivated trust and obedience. Um, Would you turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, and I would encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with you, totally fine. Uh, Bring up a Bible app on your phone, Bible Hub, Bible Gateway. Uh, A lot of us have the Bible app on our phone. That's great. We're going to look at 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. On the slide, it says, oh, we changed it. Awesome. Um, I just want to read this uh, with you. When we're thinking about trust is obey, obey is trust, the primary work of belief is a grace-empowered obedience. Here's what the God, or the Apostle John says in 1 John 5, 1 to 3. He says, or 1 to 5, everyone who, there's the word. Do you think that the Apostle John was listening to Jesus when he said the work is to believe? Guess who wrote the Gospel of John? John. Guess who wrote 1 John? John. Do you think he was listening? Yes, he was listening. And you're going to hear it right here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, is born of God, is born again. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commandments. Love is a verb. Love is love. Love looks like love. 
Verse three, this is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not, what does it say? Somebody tell me, what? Burdensome. I'm reading the Bible right now. I just want you to hear me say this. I'm reading the Bible, the authoritative word of God, breathed of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for us for, for rebuking, correcting, and training us up in righteousness. And I'm just here to tell you that the scriptures are proclaiming this about the commands of God. They are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our, does it say even our works? What does it say? Our faith. Our faith. Trust is obey. It's faith rooted. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he, she, the person who believes, there's the word again, that Jesus is the Son of God. If you have been to uh, our Connect class, every couple of months we do a Connect a Partnership class. We just had it uh, last Sunday. It's an invitation to anyone that's newer around our church community uh, just to hear the vision. How did the church start and hear the vision of the church and get connected to our core values? So if you've been to Connect, you've heard me tell this story before. But for those of you who haven't been to Connect class, uh, here's the reality. This verse, 1 John 5, 3, changed everything in my life and in Lindsay's life and in our family circa 2007, 2008. Here's the story. I'm studying, I'm in seminary, I'm getting a master's in biblical studies at Talbot in LA. Uh, Lindsay has her Bible open to 1 John 5, 3. It's underlined and highlighted in yellow. And she goes, read this verse. So I read it, and then the question was, have you ever seen this before in the Bible? And my answer to her was, I'm sure I've read it before, but I've never seen it before. And here's why, this, here's why this verse, 1 John 5, 3, changed everything for us. Because that statement, the commands of God are not burdensome, was not our experience. It had not been our experience in faith and life with God in our churches that we have grown up with. It changed everything. That verse planted the initial seeds of Two Rivers Church. Four years later, we came to Fort Collins, and the catalyst for all of it was 1 John 5, 3. The commands of God aren't burdensome. If you're, if you're like me, if you're in this room and you're like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Hallelujah, now you do, now you do. The commands of God aren't burdensome. And I hope and pray that it changes everything for you like it changed everything for us. If that verse, if that reality has not been your experience, hear me say this, you don't have a doing problem, you have a believing problem. And the invitation of grace today is for you to repent, to change your thinking, to see obedience as faith-rooted, connected to our relationship that we have with God. If it has not been your experience, we need a fresh, grace-centered rethinking on these realities. And here's, here's the point number four. Here's point number four. We must distinguish 
a grace-centered, empowered obedience from a law-centered, self-effort obedience. They're, they are very, very, very different. Self-effort, hear me say, self-effort obedience. It is the message of the world. And here's the message from the world to you. Work harder, do better. Your success determines your value or your worth. So succeed and go and work harder and do better. That's the messaging of the world. The messaging of religion isn't that much different. Self-effort, the message of religion, work harder, do better. Your obedience is your value. You want to have self-worth? Then you need to build up your self-esteem by how well you obey. And let me just say, if we're trying to fight and strive for self-esteem, let's just think about self-esteem for a second. That is the opposite of what Jesus teaches us. The esteem of self, self-esteem, let us move self-esteem away and not, not make an agreement with that and let us embrace we have self-worth because you and I and us, we have been created in the likeness and the very image of God. You have self-worth because you're a human being created in the likeness and the image of God. And you have self-worth, you have value, not because you have obeyed anything, but because Jesus obeyed everything and has given it to you and you are free in Christ. And so receive, receive the message in a fresh way today. It is not about self-effort. When we get tripped up in self-effort to determine our value, here's what happens. We get this kind of fear-based, shame-based question that we can't hardly shake. And I know this is true because it was my life for so many years. Have I done enough? Am I doing enough? And I always had this thought that God was just, maybe he was proud of me because I was working really hard in legalism, by the way. And so I, I felt like yeah, I'm working hard that God was proud of me, but there was always this reality too that there's always this little piece that, that God was a little disappointed in me because I just wasn't quite doing enough. I wasn't quite working as hard as I could be working. Um, I've called it before a low-grade evangelical fever, right? For some people, it's a high-grade evangelical fever. And we get tripped up in legalism and we think that way. The systems of the world, the systems of the world that is telling you, find your value by how you achieve and how you find success. The systems of the world join forces with the principalities, the evil principalities of darkness to bombard you with this self-effort message. You are accepted and loved only when you succeed, only when you obey. So don't fail and don't disobey. And what happens is we find our identities in the things that we're good at. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like whether it's academics or athletics or uh, whatever it is, we, when, when, when we're not rooted in a self-worth that God has given to us, we begin to find our identity in the things that we're good at, and then our identity gets crushed when we fail at the thing that we're good at, and we get spun out on those things. The lie of self-effort leads us to bondage. The change of self-effort lends itself to a whole lot of shame and a whole lot of fear, and for me, a whole lot of self-abasement. And when I do this, it's like an imaginary whip in my hand, you just just go, go harder, drive harder. Jesus and his grace, the message of you are righteous by your faith, that is the deliverance 
That is how we get set free from the bondage. Here is grace. Grace is this. It is unmerited favor. Unmerited. It has nothing to do with your merits. This is, we're not, Christianity is not trying to become an Eagle Scout with merit badges. It is not about your merit. I, I love the Eagle Scouts, by the way. I just, that analogy just popped into my head. So let me just say that. But it's not about merit badges. Uh, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is one-way love. It is unconditional one-way love. Jesus didn't come so that we could survive a legalistic way of thinking about following him. That is not why he came. Jesus came for us to thrive and live in victory. In victory, that is why he came. That is, what, that is why he said, I came that you might have abundant life. Abundant life. Second Peter 1, 3. Here's what the apostle Peter says to us. Promise, a promise to us. His divine power has given us, has given us, past tense, it's already been given. It's, it's all of grace, you have it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and grace. Has given us our knowledge, it's all been done for you. If you wanna do like, you know, fancy, you know, Greek study, that phrase, everything we need, like everything we need, like Bible Hub, like it's a great resource, go to Bible Hub, look up 2 Peter 1, 3, click on Strong's, go, go get in and do, you're gonna find this, that everything that we need for life and godliness means what? It means you've been given everything you need. And when you look up has given, you'll find in the Greek it means has given, past tense, it's already been done for us. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Depending entirely on the receiving end of God's unmerited favor toward an empowered obedience goes against every, every religious system that you've ever been taught or learned about. Unmerited favor goes against what so many of us have even been taught or learned about in churches. Hear this, grace-empowered grace obedience. We must distinguish between a self-effort law way of thinking about obedience to a grace-empowered obedience that is connected to our faith. Grace-empowered obedience, that is God's way. And that is the message of Christianity. Only Christianity is based on unmerit. That's the only one. Every other world religion will tell you, you must do fill in the blank. Only Christianity is based on unmerit or on grace. Christianity isn't, you must do this, and you must do this, and you must do this. That is not the message of Christianity. Christianity is when Jesus said, it is finished. Christianity isn't doing, doing, do more, do more, do more, do more. Christianity isn't doing. Christianity is, it is done. It is done. It's so important for us to understand grace rightly so that we can understand obedience rightly. And our society, the, the, the vernacular, the phrases, the Christianese, that is so easily creeps in, uh, cheapens the radical 
truth of God's abundant, extravagant, unconditional grace. Here's a phrase. Maybe you've heard this before. You have five more minutes of grace. And then no more grace. After five minutes, wha-bang. What comes down? The law, the rules, right? Five more minutes. Sometimes I wonder if we think about God like this. Like at some point, he's going to just, he's going to get impatient with me, and the grace of God is going to run out. And here's another phrase. Uh, I'll give you grace, but this is the last time you're getting it, baby. Right? That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. That's not the message. We have to reclaim grace in this way, biblical, the biblical grace, the understanding of the grace that we have in Jesus. From the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. It's John 1, 16. It's the vision verse for our whole church. That's why we're called Two Rivers Church, grace and grace. We could be called grace upon grace church just as easily. Here's what, it, here's what grace upon grace means in the Greek. Grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. It's grace infinity. That's what it means. And this is the reality. Biblical grace has no limits. It's limitless. In grace, God is always on the giving end, and you are always on the receiving end. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that he has lavished you with his grace. Grace empowers life change. Or we could say grace empowers true obedience. Um, I love Tim Keller. I think he's real smart. I think he's a really smart pastor and author. I've read a few of his books. He pastors a church in Manhattan. He wrote a book uh, years ago that I read called Prodigal God, where he helped shift my thinking. I think I mentioned this last week. We think of the prodigal son story as a prodigal son. Really, it's the prodigal God. Prodigal means extravagant. And the story of the lost son in Luke 15 is really about the extravagance of the grace of the father running to the son, right? I think we talked about that last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't know if this quote is from Prodigal God, but I love this quote. I think he's really helpful in, in, in connecting obedience to our faith. He says this, religion is if you obey, then you will be accepted. Conditional, if then, right? A conditional reality. That's conditional. That's religion. But the gospel is, if you are absolutely accepted and you are sure that you are accepted, only then, only then will you ever begin to obey. Trust is obey. Obey is trust. True spiritual lasting transformation happens from the inside out. Religion wants to change you from the outside in. The gospel of grace changes you from the inside out. Repent, church. Change your mind. Get centered in your identity in Christ this morning. This is why John can say the commands of God are not burdensome. Because right believing, being on the receiving end, always transforms the way we think, which transforms the way we live. Right believing leads to right living. Not perfectly, not perfectly, but certainly progressively, certainly 
progressively, and empowered, grace-centered obedience matures our sanctification. And I would say this, even in our sufferings, a maturing obedience that is connected to our faith in Christ matures our sanctification, especially when we're struggling and when we're in sorrow and when we're in suffering. We, the first song that we sang, there was a line in the song. What does it look like for you and your faith to sing in the night, to sing in the darkness? Uh, this is our last point of the morning. It's so significant, I think, for us to understand obedience in this way. Jesus, Jesus learned, Jesus himself in his humanity learned obedience from his suffering. Jesus himself, and we also will learn and grow and mature in obedience in our own. Um, if you still have your Bibles open, turn to the left a few pages to Hebrews chapter five. I'm gonna read Hebrews five, seven to nine. I'm gonna put on these fancy glasses to do it so that I can read it a little bit easier. I am, I am 48, I am 48. These glasses are fantastic and they're new for me because I can see you and I can look down and go, hey, hey. I love it. I'm still getting used to it. So here we go. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, the Father, Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? And he was heard because his of his reverent submission. What is obey me? To listen under, to trust God. He was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was a son, he learned obedience. He learned to trust God, to hope in God, to sing in the night from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, for all who trust him. I found this to be true in my life, and I wonder if it's been true in your life as well. Um, in the dark night of the soul, you heard that phrase before, right? Many of us in this room, we've experienced it. Um, an obedience that's separated from trust does not hold water in the dark night of the soul. And if you haven't been through that yet, I'm telling you, as your pastor, an obedience that is disconnected from a rooted, rooted and grounded in the love of God in the unmerited grace of God, if it is not connected to faith, your obedience in the dark night of the soul is like a calendar trying to hold water. It won't hold the water. But a faith, a faith that is rooted and grounded in love, a faith that is rooted and grounded in the unmerited grace of God in Jesus. Here's what you're gonna find. Here's what you're gonna find. That I can see sing in the darkness, 
that I can hold on to the hope of God because I know that the hope of God is holding on to me. I know that as I'm holding on to Jesus in my suffering, I become awakened to the reality that he has never left me and he has always been holding on to me even when my faith couldn't hold on to him anymore. He still, even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful to us. God is often more interested in changing us and growing us and maturing us than changing our circumstances. It doesn't mean that it's God's will for us necessarily to go through this, that, or the other thing, but I'm just saying that we live in a broken world, and on this side of heaven, there is a reality that we are the overcomers, and we do have victory in Christ, but we also live in a broken world, and we are going to suffer. We are going to face trials. Many of us have already faced trials. Some of you are in a trial right now, and I'm proclaiming to you that we have the resurrected Lord and King inside of us, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and we have been empowered to hold, to hold in any and every circumstance. And oftentimes, that's when we know, that's when we really, really know that we believe. Sometimes we don't know. And I would say this to you, if we have not suffered, your faith hasn't been tested yet. And so you need to get rooted and grounded so that when you do suffer, your faith will hold. And I'm looking at many of you in this room right now that have suffered, and I know what you suffered because you told me the stories of what you have suffered, and I have suffered, and you know my story of suffering. And we're all here today, the cloud of witnesses saying, the hope of Jesus is real. And it will hold you. Not only will it hold you, you will be able to sing into the night. I learned to trust God in the dark, hard places because it is there that he reveals his shalom and his hope that holds us. And when I learned to trust God in the suffering, I learned an empowered, trust-filled obedience. Don't be afraid of obedience, church. Don't be afraid of it. Connect it to your faith. Be empowered to transform your mind and your heart and your life. Uh, I am not going to rewrite the old hymn. Worship team, you guys can come back up. I'm not gonna rewrite the hymn because I think... You know, I think that would be bad. That would be bad. But I'm going to rephrase the old hymn for us here today in this way. Trust is obey. Amen? Trust is obey. For there is no other way to be secure in Jesus. I don't really care about happy, to be honest with you. I don't care about happy clappy. Uh, happy clappy doesn't hold water in trials and suffering. I'm not talking about happy. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord is our strength. Happiness is connected to our circumstances. And when our circumstances line up, wonderful, wonderful. Be happy. But the circumstances of life don't always line up, do they? What I'm talking about is a security in Christ because of joy and because of hope. 
Trust is obey, for there is no other way to be joyful, to be secure in Jesus, than to understand that trust is obey. Some of you in this room, the reality that you are here, the reality that you are singing is a miracle because what you have been through is real suffering and your faith, your faith strengthens my faith. And I pray that my faith strengthens your faith so that we can sing to the glory of God and to the good of this city so they would go, those people suffer and they still sing? Who is a God like that? Let me tell you. Let me talk with you about Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are enough, King Jesus. You are enough. Your grace is sufficient. Abba, Abba Father, we bless you that you know what is best for us. And so even if we must suffer, that we would know that we know that we know that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and that nothing ever separates us. Lord, we want to connect our obedience to trust. Lord, give us a revelation today. Give people in this room a revelation. If they have not experienced that your commands are not burdensome, I pray a revelation of grace today that they would begin to taste and see and experience, perhaps for the first time in their life, what it means to truly rest and to know and to know that joy, that joy can never, can never be taken away from us. And so, Lord, we sing and we declare all the promises of God as a response today to your living word. And we say, Lord, bring us, bring us further up, higher, closer. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be experiencing more of your grace, more of your truth, more of your healing, more of your hope, more of your promises so that we can live the empowered, transformed life. In Jesus' name, amen.